the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, good morning to you, and thank you so much for joining us as we get underway at six minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. We're early today. How about that? On this Wednesday, the 21st morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2018, the penultimate Thanksgiving Day. That's right, the day before Thanksgiving. Hope you have a wonderful uh, uh, holiday planned. If you're on the roads, I'm told by uh, Samuel, our uh, airman producer, that uh, the roads were packed at 5 o'clock this morning. If people are getting out of Dodge, travel safely, please. If you're headed to the airport trying to catch a flight, or if you are indeed taking to the roads, uh, please travel safely and be careful. It's better to arrive late than to not be able to arrive at all. I hope you have a wonderful uh, holiday planned. We, of course, this is our last live show of the week. We are going to be in best of mode, and I hope that will still keep you tuning in. Tomorrow morning as you're basting turkeys or or baking bread or whatever it is that you're doing for the day, uh, turn on the radio and all that. You'll be treated to some of the uh, uh, more interesting and entertaining interviews and segments that we have had in recent weeks and months. So we'll have a best of program for you tomorrow and Friday. So this is your last chance to join us. And as such, we are making it a free-for-all Wednesday since it's kind of our Friday and we are guest-free so that you have plenty of opportunities to get in and call and ask and talk about whatever it is that is so important to you. So uh, I welcome you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110, either number, any time of the program this morning, and we'll put you on the radio. As always, if you choose not to uh, dial the program but you want to be heard, you can comment on some of the stories that we are discussing or whatever it is that is on your mind by way of Twitter or Facebook. As much as I despise those liberal uh, social media platforms that censor 
conservatives, conservative ideas and conservative thought, we still use it for its benefits, and that is to challenge the propaganda machine of the American left. So as such, Twitter and Facebook, Radio Done Right, Radio Done Right, or France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. Just search both of those when you're looking on Facebook or Twitter, and you will find us, and I would very much like to hear from you. So we're going to start today once again with the border battle, as once again... A Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, otherwise known as the Ninth Circle of Hell, has decided that they know more, at least one particular liberal Obama-appointed judge, knows more than the President of the United States does about who should come into this country and who should not. The problem, of course, is that it has never, ever, ever been in a judge's purview to make that decision. That power was granted solely to the President of the United States. The San Francisco-based federal judge, John Tigar, issued a temporary injunction blocking the President's changes to asylum rules. He'd signed a proclamation saying if you cross the border illegally, you can't apply for asylum. The ACLU said the President doesn't have that kind of power, that asylum rules were written by Congress. President Trump called the judge's decision a decision. you know what else was written by Congress? ACLU? The Immigration and Nationality Act, that was written by Congress, too. And in it, it gives the president plenary power, meaning undisputed power, meaning he can, by proclamation, decide who comes in and who doesn't come into this country. By proclamation, it is in the language of the law, not with the consent of Congress a second time, not with the approval of some activist judge in San Francisco, but the president by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants to or to impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions that he may deem to be appropriate. This cannot be more clear. This is settled law, passed by Congress, given to the President of the United States way back in 1952, and yes, it still applies today. The President gets to make this call, not an activist judge in San Francisco, but let's continue. Grace. Everybody that wants to sue the United States, they file their case in almost. They file their case in the Ninth Circuit, and it means an automatic loss. No matter what you do, no matter how good your case is, And the Ninth Circuit is really something we have to take a look at. An appeal would have to be filed in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Jessica Rosenthal. The President of the United States, of course, knows that the appeal has to be filed in the Ninth, and that's why he is not even thinking about it, because he knows he's going to lose there as well. And that's why it was so extraordinarily important for the President to be able to do what he has done, and that is a point not one, but two different uh, Supreme Court justices in his first two years in office, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. It's one of the reasons why the fight was so so bitter uh, in the uh, Kavanaugh confirmation. It's why the left fought so hard, because they knew they had a very, very strong, a big problem, that once their activist judges in circuit courts like the Ninth um, have already ruled and it's appealed again to a higher court, ultimately it's going to land in a place where they don't have the numbers anymore. They don't have the activist Obama or Clinton-appointed judges um, who are going to sit there and deny the president his lawful right as executive, chief executive of this country, to make those determinations. The president is right. The Supreme Court, or excuse me, the Ninth Circle of Hell, rather, uh, is a disgrace. People should not be allowed 
to immediately run to this very friendly circuit and file their case. And you people know better than anybody what's happening. It's a disgrace. It is ex- exactly that. It is a disgrace. They judge shop, and they don't have to go very far. It's not like they have to go to 16 different stores to find a judge who's going to enjoin an action and deliver a preliminary injunction uh, on uh, the president's lawful order. You, you just have to go shopping at the Ninth Circuit. You're going to find one, and it's just that simple. So the real question now isn't whether this is going to head to the court. The question is, is when is it going to head to the court? This caravan is almost here. In fact, you might say that it is here because several hundred of them are already hanging around outside the border in Tijuana, Mexico, much to the chagrin, by the by, of Mexicans. If you're not following that part of the story, it's an extraordinarily important part of it. I talked about this yesterday with David Ray from FAIR, the Federation of Americans for Immigration Reform, and I talked about it a little bit with Peter Kersenow as well. Remember, those of us, particularly those of us who are Caucasian, as we sit here and talk about national security and border patrol and building a wall and so on and so forth, we are routinely derided as being, well, you just don't like brown people. You're, you're being racist. You don't want to make America great again. You want to make America white again, right? We hear this time and time again. It's one of the most frustrating things in the world. Well, then how do you account for Mexicans saying the very same thing about Guatemalans? They're not Caucasian. They're Mexican. They're Latinos or Hispanics or whatever euphemism you want to use. They are obviously not Caucasian. They are of Mexican descent. And they're speaking of people from Central America who may be Salvadoran, who may be Guatemalan. So are they racist as well for not wanting illegal immigrants to flood into their country, taking their jobs, bringing drugs bringing gang violence with them, because that's what is happening. From those Central American countries, they're coming north. They're they're staging and gathering in Honduras or Guatemala or in uh, in, uh, uh, El Salvador, and they're starting this march. And as you know, they are not just like using Mexico as a streamline or as a conduit. They are also doing their business while in Mexico. And that means selling drugs, that means committing acts of violence, and more. And the people of Mexico are, are livid. The people in, in, um, uh, in Tijuana, especially, you should listen to them. They're saying President Trump is right. The, we wish our president was more like their president, because we can't allow this. They're holding signs. And meanwhile, while the people of Tijuana, Mexican nationals, Mexican citizens, are complaining about other people who are called so... And by the way, it's despicable to say it this way. I'm only referring to it in such a manner because this is what the critics of the Trump administration and those of us who support the Trump administration say, that we don't like brown people. I hate the reference to people as brown people. I hate the reference to people as black people. I also hate PC with African-American, Latino-American, Asian, or hyphenated America, too. It's just so rough. And this this is, and I'm getting off on a tangent, I know, I tend to do that from time to time, but this is just one of those things where if you go back <laughs> to the dream, you know, of, of Dr. Martin Luther King, where why do we notice each other's skin color first, and why do we identify people by that first rather than by who they are and their content or their character? And the answer to that question, quite frankly, is the left. They're the ones who want to keep the hyphenated Americans, and they want to constantly play identity politics. 
participation or 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 uh, uh, your belonging to a particular socially protected class, whether it be by minority skin color, by minority gender, by minority sexual orientation, or whatever the case might be. They just keep this front and center. But that's the language they use. They say, we're afraid of brown people. Well, there are brown people in Mexico who don't want brown people from Guatemala and from Honduras and others coming up into their country and bringing gangs and drugs and violence and so on and so forth. So are they racist as well? Perhaps, just perhaps, it's time to acknowledge that maybe white people here in the United States who are trying to advocate for secure borders and who are trying to advocate for national sovereignty, trying to advocate for national security, are not racist at all. Perhaps it has nothing to do with white or brown people. It has to do with legal or illegal people. It has to do with legally uh, permitted people who come to the United States who want to work, who have a, 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 a right to work, you know, who have a visa, something that makes them eligible to work, who want to start and achieve a better life in the United States, we welcome them with open arms like brothers. We always have. Always. Whether they're brown or they're black or they're whatever color or ethnicity or whatever language they speak, that they want. Versus illegal people who want to come to the United States, breaking our laws, violating our sovereignty, taking our jobs, hiding from the, uh, from the law, committing crimes because they're hiding from the law, and more, and, and, and on and on and on. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has everything to do with the rule of law. And, and when you hear the people of Tijuana and the people of Mexico saying the exact same thing, now you know. This argument, the tra- everything the, where the race card is played, is, is tired, it's false, uh, and, and it really needs to be called out for what it is. It is just liberalism run amok. We want these voters. Peter Kirsten had stats for me yesterday talking about the percentage of illegal immigrants when they come to the United States, particularly people from Mexico or other Latino or Latin American countries, whether it be Central America or Latin America, whatever the case might be. When they come to the United States, they vote some 65% in favor of Democrats. Why? Because they listen to the Democrats playing identity politics, saying they don't want you here. They don't like brown people. We do. We want you here. So it's like, oh, well, these are the people that we we like. And so they vote for them. They just play the worst kind of pandering politics that you can imagine. And it works. It really works for them. But we're not talking about keeping people out because of their votes. We're talking about keeping people out until they, require, until they apply legally to come to the United States. The president's order was 100% within the boundaries of U.S. law. The president's order is 100% within the boundaries of U.S. law. It's 8 U.S. Code 1182F. It's Section 212F of the INA, the Immigration and Nationality Act. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens, you won't, you know why they separate aliens from class of aliens? Because they don't want to make everybody sound the same, like they're all just, quote, illegal immigrants. This covers refugees and asylum seekers as well. So whenever the president finds that the entry of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interest of the U.S., he may, by proclamation, not by getting a new law passed, it doesn't have to be legislation, by proclamation, that means executive order, the president makes this call, for such period as he shall deem necessary, that pronoun is extremely important, he shall seem necessary. Not they, not a council of people assembled, a committee from the Congress, a couple of judges from the judicial branch. No, 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 no. It's in U.S. law passed by Congress that we give this power to the president. 
as for as long a period as he shall deem necessary to suspend the entry of all aliens or class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants, meaning refugees or asylum seekers, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions that he may deem appropriate. It is not a group call. It is not a team effort. It is not something that has to pass muster in all three branches of Congress. It has all, or three branches of government, rather. It sounds like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right? Um, no, the judicial branch is, is already spoken. This is a, this is a, you know, the U.S. Nationality Act, Immigration Nationality Act is law. Congress passed it. A president signed it. And the, the judges have held it up for now, what, 60 plus years? 60, 66 years? That's the way that this works. Uh, I want to hear from you. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. It's 21 minutes after 9 o'clock on this Wednesday, the last live show of the week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. It is yours. We are here for open phone lines today. I've got a lot more to talk about, but sometimes I prefer to listen as well. So you dial me, 216-901-0945, and we'll get, get it going right here on AM 1420, The Answer. And you're not Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. All right, 925, now the Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420, The Answer, 216-901-0945, an excellent essay offered up by the brilliant Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review laying out the case. If we cannot stop this invasion, we no longer have a sovereign nation. This is what continues to happen. A single federal judge decide, deciding what uh, can and cannot be done in the United States as a whole, all states, federally, a single district judge thinks he can violate all rules of standing, 130 years of Supreme Court precedent on sovereignty, up to and including Trump versus Hawaii, and shut down any effort to secure our border, including the administration's uh, plan on bogus asylum. Despite spending $800 billion on the military and defense, we refuse to assert our rights to over our own border because the ACLU and activist judges evidently control our borders. We continue to allow lawfare to ins- uh, lawfare that's right lawfare to incentivize and actually allow the entirety of Central America to cross our border along with gangs, drugs, violence, poverty and possibly disease. In every media interview that I've ever given Daniel Horowitz writes, when asked about the future of the caravan, I emphatically said there is no way that Trump would allow uh, any of them to submit asylum claims because he couldn't stop if he couldn't stop such a brazen invasion it would be the end of his presidency nonetheless i expressed concern that we'd still ignore the dangerous invasion of roughly 1 to 2000 coming every day independently smuggled by coyotes now it appears i was too charitable we are not even categorically bro- blocking the caravan and that was before last night's illegal lawless injunction from an obama judge in san francisco it appears that the people in the caravan are being allowed to submit claims a hundred a day 
I guess slow motion catch and release is better than a mass rush. But why should we be managing an invasion rather than repelling it as required by the Constitution's guarantee clause? Article 4, Section uh, Section 4. Slow motion admission is not what Trump promised before the election. And he uh, cites President Trump's tweet back on October 25th. To those in the caravan, turn around. We are not letting people into the United States illegally. Go back to your country, and if you won't, or if you want, apply for citizenship like millions of others are doing. If we can't stop a belligerent group of economic migrants carrying flags of their persecutors and will now indulge them as questionable asylees, we no longer have a sovereign nation. Mexicans in Tijuana are now vigorously protesting the caravan's illegal occupation of their own country. The migrants are reportedly smoking weed and throwing garbage in their neighborhoods after rejecting Mexico's own offer of asylum, which in itself is a violation of international asylum law. That's so very important. That part of the story is so very important. The Mexican government has offered these people asylum. They are choosing not to take it. That means they don't want asylum from the persecution of their own governments in their own countries because they have found it. It means they are coming to the United States seeking the gold standard, seeking uh, seeking, uh, the best opportunity to do what? To get work and to make more money. In other words, they are not here as actual asylum seekers because of persecution, threats of being killed by the government. They're here as economic migrants, nothing more. Joe in Lakewood, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Joe, go ahead. Yeah, Bob, uh, <laughs> I'm, the timing is perfect. They, they waited until almost the last minute before they decided to have that judge put a ban on that. And uh, <laughs> I don't know why the president just doesn't tell that Ninth Circuit to go pound sand. Well, I mean, you know, essentially, he by, by appealing it, that is what he's doing. He's telling the judge, you're wrong, and we're appealing to a higher court. The problem, as you know, is it's going to go to the Ninth Circuit, where this guy is, to an appellate court there, before it gets to the Supreme Court. My only hope is that it can be expedited to the Supreme Court during the Supreme Court's current session so that we can get this thing done uh, before too much more damage is done. Um, because, you know, by, by appealing it, that's how you say go pound salt. He can't just say you know, militarize the border and shoot everybody who tries to cross it on site. He can't do that. He has to do this through a legal method. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> that's just too bad. They give the president power and some some activist judge decides to take that power away. And that's and why, they, Joe, they, you're a hundred you're, you're, I'm sorry to cut you off. You're 100% right. The president has this power. It was granted to the president, not Donald Trump, but to the president, whomever he or she may be. It is granted to the president by the U.S. Congress, who makes the laws, and a, a judge in the third branch of government, not chamber, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but a, a judge in the third branch of the judiciary says the legislative, they don't know what they're doing. The executive, pff, he can't do that. I am more important than all of them. And that is exactly why it's so important for President Trump to continue to reshape the courts. We're back after the news on AM 1420, The Ad Council. This is Sebastian Gorka, former strategist of Donald J. Trump. Under President Trump, American leadership is being restored. But that doesn't mean our enemies have disappeared. In my new book, Why We Fight, Defeating America's Enemies with No Apologies, we take off the blinders of political correctness from the Obama years and learn how we can vanquish enemies without mortal combat. Sebastian Gorka's new book, Why We Fight, is available now from Amazon and Barnes & Noble.
935 now, the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to talk a little bit more about the caravan and about the president's denial of uh, his uh, his constitutional rights as exact constitutional authority is a better way to say that as the executive of the country uh, to maintain order at the border. No pun intended, or no rhyme intended, but seriously, to maintain order at our southern border. It is his job, it is his responsibility as directed by Congress, and it is constitutional to have an activist judge change all of that. Is, um, it's, it's incomprehensible. And the president, or excuse me, the, uh, uh, yeah, the president of the United States having all authority to do this and being denied such means that this is all the more reason why what we have been begging the president to do and he has delivered on, uh, you know, is, is, is going to be the answer here. I just had a friend text me and saying it's over. I just had a friend text me and said, don't you get it? Trump can't stop the agenda. They're importing Democrat voters to change America forever. And Trump can't stop it. Nobody can. It's over. And my response to my friend was, the president still has a last line of defense, and it is the Supreme Court. And that's why it's been so important for him to be. It's why the 2016 election mattered for the future of this country, is it not? What did we say? What were we screaming during that election between Trump and Hillary? What were we screaming? We were screaming about primarily three things. The first one was immigration, which this is a direct story about. The second was the courts. We don't want Hillary Clinton to be able to pick the next Supreme Court justice or two or three. And the third was the economy. So let's take a look at those in order. In, on immigration, the president has done more to secure the southern border than anybody has in decades. It still isn't enough because of the courts hamstringing those efforts. But he is doing everything he can to, to strengthen that border and is trying to get our border wall, wall built. We need to find a way to get that done before December 8th, to get it funded before December 8th. That's the deadline, by the way, in the spending bill. But he's doing everything he can. Number two, the courts. We have Gorsuch and we have Kavanaugh. And the moment Ruth Bader Ginsburg can no longer hold her head up without falling asleep, and the, the moment Ruth Bader Ginsburg can no longer speak, and she is in a very, very, very bad way. She is in very poor health. And, of course, you understand, I am not wishing ill health upon her. Never would I do that. I am suggesting that in the event that she can no longer participate in the job required, the requirements of the job, rather, uh, as Supreme Court Associate, Ju- Associate Justice, then that position is going to become open again as well. When she can no longer do it and retires and she can't listen, she can't hear cases, she can't be there to deliberate, she can't write opinions because she's not able to, you know, to physically be able to handle that workload any longer at her very frail health and age. Then we say, welcome Justice Amy Coney Barrett and the court is strengthened even further. This is why 2016 mattered so much. This is why 2016 had so many liberals screaming at the sky in, in, in terror. Screaming, wailing, crying, stompy foot. I mean, all of those things. Because they knew, oh my God, Trump is going to be able to reshape the courts, not Hillary. And so that's why it's so important that he has done that and will continue to do that all, at all levels, by the way, of the federal court. In, in uh, appellate courts, district courts all over the country. So that that's number two. It's not over because we still have the Supreme Court once this gets there. And what was the thir- oh, th- third thing was the economy. What, what, what more do we need to say? Yes, I know the stock market is taking a beating this week. And a lot of the huge gains we've had this year have been wiped out by uh, uh, the Dow falling, NASDAQ falling in the last couple of days. Uh, that is not going to be 
indicative of the future. It is not going to lead to some sort of recession or anything of that nature. Uh, in fact, I think that the uh, futures are trending up today. But the economy, of course, 4.3%. Last quarter, growing well over 3%. This quarter, and on and on we go. I saw a story yesterday, in fact, just to, just to hit you with one last uh, line on the economy, that uh, wages are, are up. By, you know what it was? It was a story about uh, optimism. Shoppers' optimism this Christmas season, this Christmas shopping season, right? And I can't remember the percent, but it was a huge percent of Americans intend to spend more this year on gift buying than they did a year ago because of the state of the economy, because unemployment is at uh, uh, an almost all-time low, decades and decades low, because wages, wage growth for the average uh, uh, middle-income family is up uh, higher than it has been in a decade. All of these different economic indicators were listed, but the point is more Americans now feel confident that A, they're not going to lose their job, B, they're not going to be hit with higher taxes because we have the tax cuts in place, C, uh, they have more money in their checkbooks because of the uh, because of the tax cuts, and C and D because they have more money in their paychecks because they're getting raises. Wages are going up because of all of these economic policies, and therefore D they are going to spend a lot more this year than they did last year at Christmas time. And what does that mean? E that means more American manufacturers and more American retailers are raking in money, and they can do what? Hire more people. And the cycle of growth, economic growth, continues. All of this because of what the president has put in place here. All right, let me go to uh, TJ, who's waiting in Cleveland on AM 1420. Like I said, it's an open lines uh, Wednesday, 216 If you want to talk about this part of things, fine. If you want to go off the rails uh, and pick your own topic, that's cool, too. TJ, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, Bob, this isn't the first time in history with these judges this has happened. You know, in the 1800s, uh, uh, President Andrew Jackson had the same problem with these judges overstepping their authority, and he really cracked down on them pretty bad. I, I think it's time that they have to start cracking down on these federal judges and strip them of this authority they really don't have. You know, and that's where the, the, the end solution is going to be. You know, you can fight them individually in these battles and appeal and appeal. What we've got to do is stop them from even doing it like Jackson did back in the 1800s. Uh, to my knowledge, TJ, the only way to uh, strip a judge, as you're saying, is to impeach a judge. It's the only way to stop a judge is to impeach him. That's what the left, by the way, immediately said as soon as Kavanaugh was confirmed. As soon as we went back to House, we're going to file impeachment uh, or start impeachment proceedings against Kavanaugh, despite having no evidence whatsoever. So it would take, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, it would take an awful lot of congressional time to file articles of impeachment against dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of these federal activist judges because the left goes judge shopping from Northern California to Oregon to Washington to Hawaii. And then if they, if they, if, if all of those were impeached by some, you know, act of Congress, then they're going to go to, to Manhattan and find judges in, in those liberal areas. They're just going to find Obama and Clinton appointees wherever they might be. And they're still going to use them as activists, but, uh, because it's impossible to impeach that many judges just for, you know, even if we believe what they're doing is, is unconstitutional. Well, yeah, but Bob, couldn't they, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm no scholar on this, but couldn't something like this be uh, brought up in front of the Supreme Court to, to make a final ruling on how much authority does a local federal judge or something have? 
uh, can Congress do something about it? Yeah, I, Congress I could. I'm yes, not, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert on this. No, I understand. I understand. Greater mind than mine. I understand, but to my understanding, uh, uh, TJ, yes, Congress could do something to change it going into the future, saying that if a district judge um, issues an injunction. Uh, against a particular presidential order that it can be limited to their district. This can't be effective here. Um, instead of saying this is how it is for the whole country, one one district judge gets to decide the law and the uh, imposition of a presidential executive uh, uh, order or proclamation for the whole country. But again, my my second part of my hunch tells me that okay, then they will go to, you know, 75 different judges in 75 different large federal districts and have uh, each of them uh, say, okay, uh, I'm issuing an injunction in this particular district, and it would have essentially the same nationwide effect. The bottom line is we have to get bad judges out and get good constitutionalists, originalists seated, and that's what President, the President is doing at a record pace. Unfortunately, all he can do, as you know, T.J., is appoint people to vacant seats on these benches. He can't just replace somebody like this Judge Tiger uh, out in San Francisco and say, I don't like what you just did here. You're out. I'm putting somebody else in your spot. He doesn't have the authority to do that. See, and, and the only problem with that, Bob, is, you know, you can replace 99 out of 100 of these people mm-hmm. with, with constitutionalists, but it only takes one. That's like right. Like we're seeing in San Francisco. That's uh, right. It only takes one, you know, to, to, to cause all these problems. Uh I don't know. I like I says. I maybe you could get a guest on there that could explain how how they could do something about this. You know, well, I mean, in the future yeah. and, and, and and solve this problem because this is just going to continue. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it. I think at the end of the day, there is going to have to be a Supreme Court action, and then again, it's going to have to be that you know one district judge cannot um, uh, cannot issue a ruling that impacts and affects the entire country. Now, the fact that they are on a federal bench means, however, that they can. Their rulings are for the, you know, for the, the, the nation as a whole. Um, how they would limit that and restrict those powers of appellate judges and district judges, I just don't know. And you're right. We'll need an expert on. I'll probably have to talk to somebody like Professor Adler from uh, Case Western, uh, or somebody, you know, who's, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> More familiar with constitutional law and federal uh, benches than I am, but uh, but yeah, I think that is ultimately what is going to have to happen. All right, uh, I'm going to get a timeout here a little earlier this time than normal because I want to talk on the other side of this uh, traffic report about the horrific, horrific murder of the wife of a sitting judge who was employed by the city of Cleveland and Mayor Frank Jackson despite this judge committing some of the most horrific, heinous, violent, domestic abuse that you can even imagine just four short years ago in front of his children. You know the story I'm talking about by now. You know I'm talking about Judge Lance Mason, former Judge Lance Mason, and second chance receiver from Frank Jackson despite his horrific, violent past, allowed to get out of prison after just nine months and then hired at a high-paying job by Mayor Frank Jackson, all with the willing assent and consent of a lot of very, very prominent Democrat leaders in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. And what did it lead to, of course? It led to the murder of Aisha Fraser. This story is blowing up, not just locally, but nationwide. 
and it's time that I have a say on this. I'll share my thoughts with you, and I will ask for yours at 216-901-0945 right after this. B-L-E. Nine fifty one now the Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty the answer. Um let's go back just a little bit and let's talk about and let's remind ourselves of exactly how horrific, how incredibly barbaric the original crime was committed by Lance Mason. Because the Democrat led Cleveland uh, government, especially and including Frank Jackson, doesn't want you to think it was all that bad. Quite honestly, they don't want you to think it was all that bad. What was done to his wife by Lance Mason back in 2014, it was every bit as bad as you can imagine. Going back to August 5th of 2014, Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Judge and former state lawmaker Lance T. Mason punched and bit his wife, causing her physical harm, according to criminal charges he now faces in connection with his arrest on Saturday. The judge is with felonious assault in the incident involving Aisha Fraser Mason, his wife of eight years. Ms. Mrs. Mason's orbital bone was fractured, according to charging documents. I want to. I don't want to read the entire story to you from August of 2014, but I'll summarize it and say this. Lance Mason punched her with a closed fist at least 20 times in that SUV as they traveled in August of 20, uh, 2014. He grabbed her by the hair and the back of the head and rammed her face into the dashboard multiple times, leading to the fracture of the orbital socket in her face. All of this while his traumatized children sat in the back seat and watched it all. It was absolutely horrific. Now, after being convicted of this crime, for which he was sentenced to only two years, he was released early, after just nine months. Does that sound like a, 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 a just punishment to you for that kind of horrific domestic abuse, that violence, that kind of assault? I, I look, I, I don't want to overstate it because it states itself, uh, you know, strongly enough. But it, to me, it's attempted murder. You don't pound on somebody that badly unless you're trying to end their life. That many times, that repeatedly, you're trying to end their life. This is in 2014. That should have been attempted murder, but he gets out after just nine months. And if that isn't enough of a of a, 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 a hand up from the criminal justice system, and quite frankly, it's an abomination, he walks out of prison and right back into government employment, hired by Mayor Frank Jackson to work for the city of Cleveland. Despite all of the, the uh, recommendations, despite all of the warnings, by district attorneys and witnesses who said this is very, very likely to happen again. And sure enough, here we are, less than four years later, it did happen again. Worse, he did kill her this time. The attempted murder became murder. 
and Judge, or excuse me, Mayor Frank Jackson has continued to defend his decision. The hiring came this past spring, by the way, after Mason was released from prison for this assault. The hiring was made by Frank Jackson despite the violent nature, his violent nature, and the the mayor of the city of Cleveland wanted to believe, oh, it's just a one-time thing. I'm sure it'll never happen again. He can come to work for me. We are a city of second chances. Now that he is a murderer, Frank Jackson uh, is, is forced to do what? To backtrack? To apologize? To admit his error? No. No. He doubles down. He defends his decision to hire Lance Mason. And Mayor Frank Jackson is is being savaged from one end of the city of Cleveland, from one end, quite frankly, not just Northeast Ohio, but really anybody around the country is watching this, is saying, what, the, what in the living H is going on here? How are we employing people like that and paying them with tax dollars? And now look at what happened, and he refuses to apologize, refuses to say that this is, refused to say that this is wrong. But Mayor Frank Jackson wasn't the only believer in Lance Mason who tried to kill his wife once and eventually succeeded in killing his wife the second time. There were a lot of other high-profile people who believed in Lance Mason, who wanted him to have a job with the government, with the government, paid for by city tax dollars, because, because, well, he's a really good guy who just slipped up. What does this say about the judgment of Congresswoman Marsha Fudge? who wrote a letter in August of 2015 to Tim McGinty, the prosecutor. R.E. Lance T. Mason. Quote, This letter of support on behalf of Lance T. Mason comes as a result of more than 20 years of friendship. Most assuredly, I am deeply saddened and disappointed at where we find ourselves today, writes Marsha Fudge. The behavior Lance displayed on August 2nd, 2014 is out of character and totally contrary to everything I know about him. Stop. I'm going to have to ask this question again. What does this say about the judgment of a woman that we put in Congress? How many times now in that district? Five? Or no, now six. Now six. She's already been there ten years. I think this, uh, this last election, uh, November 6th, was, would, would be her sixth term. She writes... I commend Lance for immediately recognizing that he needed help and entered counseling, which continues as of this writing. Further, he is working diligently to find a way to face what he has done to his family and his reputation. Stop. Marsha Fudge commends Lance Mason for recognizing that he needed help and entering counseling. Boy, that's a hell of a recognition, isn't it? He recognized it after he nearly killed his wife, punching her in the face 20 times, smashing her face into the dashboard of their SUV multiple times. Now he recognized that he needed help, and you're commending him for that? He's not doesn't realize he needs help. He was arrested, you moron. Seriously, Congresswoman Moron Fudge? Stop! He didn't recognize anything. His lawyer said, well, you're done, but if you have any hope of anything, you better get into counseling quick. Back to the letter from Congresswoman Moron Fudge. 
Lance accepts full responsibility for his actions and has assured me that something like this will never happen again. Stop. Lance accepts full responsibility? What does that mean? Was it possible for him to deny responsibility? Wasn't me. You were the only one in the vehicle with her when she was beaten up and your kids watched it. I don't care. Wasn't me. Of course he accepts full responsibility. He has to. As to assuring you, Congresswoman Fudge, that something like this will never happen again, where are you now? What can you tell us now? Back to her letter. The Lance T. Mason I know is a kind, intelligent man and loyal friend. The Lance T. Mason I know is an advocate for the people of his community. Whether whether as a county prosecutor, state senator, or common police judge, he is well-respected and well-liked. Lance Mason is a good man who made a very bad mistake. That's not a bad mistake. That is a near murder that then turned four years later into a completed murder. It's not a bad mistake. It's who he is. And the fact that you didn't recognize who he is and what he is speaks to your character. And Marsha Fudge, you're a disgrace, you're an embarrassment, and guess what? So should so is every single voter in District 11 who chose to send you back to Congress. Your judgment is horrific. And you want to know who believes that? Marsha Fudge. That's why she just dropped out of the potential running for Speaker of the House. She knows she cannot live this down. We're back right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.